Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. This week, I have been a little bit busy with press for our brand new family show, which I have teased many times on the podcast. It is called Catherine Ryan Parental Guidance. That's on W Network and UK TV. I think if you live in a different country, you might get it on a channel where you used to find original Taskmaster before it moved to Channel 4. Maybe you can get it on BritBox. Maybe someone will upload it all onto YouTube. I don't care. I don't mind. I've already been paid, no matter how well or poorly it does. You know, and you should never pirate television. You really shouldn't pirate television. But I do sort of wish and feel that all television was available worldwide to everyone because there are shows that I can't get that I want to get. And I've already had people reaching out from Australia being like, where is it going to? I don't know, but I will let you know when I know. Ideally, you will have the proper places to watch it. I don't know. I don't know how it works. But in doing some of this press, I was interviewed by the wonderful Polly Vernon, someone whose writing I've admired for a long time, whose style, whose fashion, whose glamour I've admired for a long time. I really love her a lot, and that was for Sunday Style. I got to do this really cool photo shoot with a stylist called Flossie Saunders, who had never worked with before, an incredible photographer, Buzz White. I had um, Lucy, who did my makeup, and I don't remember the... Who was the hair? He hasn't followed me online yet. I feel like his name is Paul. Damn it. I'll find out. But it was a great team. Not my usual team. I do love to work with Fiona and Jen, but it's not always my choice. And in that interview, Polly and I sat down and we talked about a bunch of things. And one of my tragic character flaws is that I will answer any question that I am asked. Sometimes there'll be quotes in the press where it just seems like I opened a window and shouted out something like, I had a terrible time at Disneyland. I didn't. I mean, I did, but not because of Disneyland. That was in the press, like, as though I rang up the sun and spoke exclusively to Richard Eden. I didn't. I just have this podcast where, unfortunately, I have to talk every week about things, and sometimes there aren't positive things. I have to say that too many people were vaping at Disneyland. That doesn't mean that you won't have a great time when you go there if your children are age-appropriate. But many, many, many things were discussed with the formidable Polly Vernon, again, what an honor to speak to her and to be interviewed for the Sunday Times style. And you can find that interview online along with some really cool clips where I rate celebrities' outfits. And I don't even remember what I said, so sometimes I watch this stuff back and it's brand new to me. It's all fun. It's all happening on there. But one of the things I said to her, she asked me how my sex life was or whether I'm a minx in the bedroom. And that didn't just come out of nowhere. I was speaking about generational 
uh, evolution where we women my age, 40 and around 40, are at a very interesting moment, I feel, because we are straddling two very different generations of feminism. Like our mothers and our grandmothers certainly were meant to be all things to everyone. Like an incredible mother, an amazing chef, a minx in the bedroom, really put together and not all of our grandmothers were working and then our mothers were mostly all working and our children and certainly our grandchildren will be these hashtag female boss CEOs. Women's rights have come a very long way, but for us, I believe in ancestral memories. Uh, uh, Kourtney Kardashian on a very recent episode of the Kardashians, I believe it was the season finale, was saying And I'm surprised she didn't know this until she was 40. Maybe you don't know this, that you have all the eggs that you'll ever have when you're born. And that even as a fetus in your mother's womb, you had all the eggs then. So Violet and Fenna and Fred were eggs in me, in my mother's womb when I was in my mother's womb. And my mother had all her eggs when she was in my grandmother's womb. And I was one of those eggs. So I had time in my grandmother's womb. Do you see what I mean? And so we carry ancestral trauma sometimes. And I feel like we, even if you're a man, I don't know, maybe the same is happening with sperm. Maybe like Bobby was a sperm in his dad's balls when his dad's balls were forming in his dad's mother's womb. I don't know. I haven't looked into the sperm version. And so I was saying women right now are told we can have it all. And the show Parental Guidance very much explores like Is Catherine Ryan having it all? Like, I'm struggling to get back to work appropriately. I don't want to leave my children. I know that I have a lot of help. I have a stay-at-home husband. I can afford a babysitter. But my children are the kind of children that will vomit with rage if I'm in a different room. So just because I can afford the babysitter, does that mean I really feel ethically correct in knowing that my children are suffering with the babysitter? As wonderful as she is, I don't want my children to be upset. So I try to be a really hands-on mom. I love my children. I understand that it's a privilege to be their mother, but I also am supposed to have this career and then I'm supposed to tend to my husband's needs as well. And that's not just sexual, but you know, we're supposed to have conversations and I'm supposed to be the woman that he used to date before we had children and he married and I'm supposed to have energy for Violet. You know, these are the things we were talking about. And so in the context of my marriage, Polly Vernon goes, And are you this minx in the bedroom that your grandmother was meant to be? And I said, no. And then I got out my period tracker app. This is not an ad for period tracker. There are other apps available, Flow, but I think you pay for that one. And I do love period tracker. There are probably upgrades you can pay for. But uh, I got that out and I said, I'll tell you all the times I had sex this year (laughs) because I do log it just out of habit when we were trying to conceive Fred and trying to conceive Fena. One of the good ways of doing that is to log your cycles and when you're fertile and when you're not. And when you have sex, you click the little heart button and you can share this data with your partner. I decided to share it with Sunday Times Style and I thought, why not? Yeah, Polly Vernon, let me tell you. I had sex twice in July, twice in August, twice. Oh, it looks like I'm having sex exactly twice a month. And that is not as much as I want. My husband doesn't seem to mind. He's a very like... I'll go with the flow kind of guy, Um, no pun intended. But just so you know, privately on the podcast, because nobody asked, those numbers as my children grow older have gone up. But this admission of, I have sex exactly twice a month, became the headline. 
Polly Vernon will not have chosen the headline. I know what happens. A journalist does the interview. They submit the interview. The editor or the sub-editor chooses the headline. And uh, good for them, because probably a lot of people are clicking on Catherine Ryan has sex exactly twice a month. Certainly the tabloids are interested in how often I have sex, because since that article came out in the Times, the Daily Mail, Catherine Ryan, 40, because <laughs> the Daily Mail always has to say how old a woman is, spills her bedroom secrets with husband Bobby Kutstra. She reels she has sex exactly twice a month. Well, it wasn't exactly secret then, was it, Daily Mail? OK Magazine, Catherine Ryan candidly reveals how many times a month she has sex with husband Bobby. Well, I didn't say, I didn't even say it was with him. I just said I have sex twice a month. Um, the Irish Sun, and this was tough, this was tough. Catherine Ryan reveals exactly how many times a month she has sex with childhood sweetheart Bobby Kustra because when something appears in the Irish Sun or the Irish Times, my Uncle Mick gets his hands on it, my Auntie Mary photographs it. I know it was her because I can see her little slippers in the bottom of the photograph. She'll open the physical paper, take a picture of it, and send it to my dad. And then my dad is really cool at like glossing over what is happening. Like he, this is a, an Irish talent. Um, he, he forwards me the message from Auntie Mary and he's like, oh, the Irish Times, well done, the Irish Sun. And I don't know if he reads it. Luckily, a photograph of a newspaper is very difficult to read anyway. Maybe my dad went and read it afterwards, but I'm like, ah, oh, Christ. When I am candid like this, I don't always think about the consequences of like, oh, my dad's gonna be sent this by all his friends in the Irish uh, Times. Metro UK, Catherine has sex exactly twice a month and is owning it, thinks Metro. They always put a positive spin on things, I feel. Um, the Sun, oh, The Sun have now run from pop legends, naked Sundays to footy couple who romp every day. Celeb Sex League reveals randiest stars and now they've ranked with photos a bunch of celebs and how often they're having sex. A private life used to be just that. But these days, celebs love nothing more than to overshare. Oh, I know you're sad about that, The Sun. Without us doing so, you might have to do some actual journalism, The Sun. And it seems no subject is out of bounds, even when it comes to their sex lives. And then there's a very gorgeous picture of Bobby and me. Comedian Catherine Ryan reveals she and husband Bobby Kutstra have sex twice a month. And this is a hot, hot photo from when we were in the Maldives before we had the small children. And let me tell you back then, we were probably doing it every day, but not now. We have small children. The Beckhams were apparently having sex five times a night during baby-making sessions when they were trying to conceive back in 2010. Golden Balls was exhausted and on continuous standby, according to the mail. But it clearly worked because they now have four kids. Victoria once admitted they had a rather kinky room complete with a mirrored ceiling separate from their master bedroom. She said there's a room like a Tarte's boudoir with leopard print everywhere and a mirrored ceiling. Well, let me tell you this. I'm surprised that they got four kids out of having sex five times a night because golden balls would have been nothing more than a dehydrated husk of a man after having sex five times a night. And when you're trying to conceive, the official advice is to kind of just do it three times a week. Don't think about it too much. Don't really look at the schedule because if you're doing it five times a night, your sperm, I don't think, has a chance to replenish you want to give a good load and like five times a night, you're wasting your time, like 20 nights a month at least. I mean, it's David Beckham. You're not wasting your time, but you don't have any eggs on deck. Like what's up? Victoria can't be tracking her ovulation. It's very simple to do. But back then, you know, those two, they were passionately in love and they were uh, young and sexy and fine, like have sex five times a night. But official advice, if you are trying to conceive, don't take this as like the example of how to do it. 
Don't do it that way. Sergio Ramos and Pilar Rubio, don't know who they are, but they're having sex every day. Oh, he plays for the Real Madrid, and she's probably a model, Spanish model and TV presenter. The 44-year-old mom of four was asked on a Spanish TV show how often she and her Paris Saint-Germain ace husband had romped in the last 30 days. She replied, we do it every day, except for the days that I am in Madrid. Today, for instance, thanks to you, I cannot have sex with my husband, obviously. My children are in bed at 9.30 p.m. Sex is a life. Well, this is what happens when you marry a Spanish model presenter. Sorry, Bobby. Spencer Matthews and Vogue Williams apparently have sex 28 times a month? And if my body looked like that, I'd be making sure I had sex with someone 28 times a month. They may be juggling busy careers and three kids, but Spencer Matthews and Vogue Williams still find times for romps almost every night. The couple uh, made the stark admission on their podcast, Spencer and Vogue. Vogue told listeners, couples are having sex less than ever before, 30% less than our parents. Spencer then interrupted his wife, not in our house. Okay, I'm going to put something out there. It's going to upset a lot of parents. You and I have sex all the time. Listen to this. We have sex quite a lot, don't we? We're on a real hot streak. Last three or four weeks, there's probably been only one or two nights we haven't had sex. All right, but he did admit that that was a hot streak. Fern McCann, five times a week before the baby. Yeah, see, this is it. And then she said to OK Magazine, I'll be honest, it's not very often at the moment. When we first met, we were having sex five times a week. And now it seems she's co-sleeping and that number has gone down. Christina Aguilera, once a week on Naked Sundays. Naked Sundays in her house. Who's she married to? She's got a fiancé, Matthew Rutler. Abby Clancy and Peter Crouch, once a fortnight, which... Thanks for the rephrasing, the son. That's twice a month. And I feel very happy that I'm having sex exactly the same as Abby Clancy and Peter Crouch. I feel like that is the lifestyle that goes best with my current situation. They've been married a long time. They love each other, but they have small kids like we have small kids. Robbie Williams and Ada Field apparently have no sex. Robbie says he's gone from hero to zero in the bedroom. Since marrying actress Ada in 2010, he has admitted they prefer Netflix and chill. No, really. The couple who have four children told The Sun they rarely bother with sex. They kiss and cuddle instead. The singer also admitted his libido has dropped since he stopped taking testosterone to treat his depression. Everyone knows there's no sex after marriage, he said. Well, look, it is important to have sex in your marriage. And this conversation, again, has sparked a lot of discussion. There was a very serious follow-up article about it um, by Claire Cohen, and it was saying like, okay, she has bravely admitted she's not doing it that much. And a lot of us, when we're married, we think our friends are maybe always at it and we're falling short. But when we're open about like, I'm actually not finding time to do it as much as I like, then other people feel like, oh, maybe my marriage is not in a bad spot because I'm only doing it once a month or twice a month. And I think those numbers are fluid and you are meant to be married for a lifetime. So those numbers go up and they go down. And I like to think of stages in my life like seasons. You know, nothing is forever. When the summer's here and everything's warm and the birds are chirping, that's not forever. Similarly, when it's winter and it's cold and it's wet and it's dark at 4 p.m., that is not forever. So you just got to lean into whatever season and be assured that it's temporary and like, Already I'm having sex more than I was, and there'll probably be droughts in my marriage as well. But I hope that through this admission, I have made British couples feel less alone. But I mean, in the interim, guys, you got to pencil it in. And that's also not a euphemism. You got to schedule it, I think. Like, all right, there's a school run here. We got 20 minutes there. 
school run. I mean, that's the true victim in this is Violet because she has access to social media now. And, you know, she's really cool. She's very robust. She'll just pick that up and see it on Instagram and roll her eyes and be like, oh, God, my parents are having sex twice a month. Excellent. Today in the UK, at least January 19th, it is, well, this is the day the podcast is coming out. If you're listening to it late, that's your prerogative. But it is the release date of Mean Girls, the movie, not the original movie that came out 20 years ago when I was a young sapling starring Lindsay Lohan. It has been revamped. It's musical now. I assume, but I don't know that the music in the film is from the stage musical Mean Girls, but I mean, it was great. It was great music, and I've seen the film already because Violet and I were invited to an advanced screening. I was really excited to go because Violet, unlike many kids her age, has actually seen original Mean Girls from 20 years ago. She has seen them all. She has seen The Heathers. She has seen Clueless. She has seen Troop Beverly Hills. Now, our current babysitter is on holiday, and we did have a stand-in the other day, a really lovely, lovely, capable young woman. But she saw me wearing a Clueless jumper with the iconic pen with the feathers on the end that Cher Horowitz used in school. She was the queen bee of that school. I would say that if there was no Clueless, there would never be a Mean Girls. I said, oh, my my sweater came. I can't wait to wear this jumper to the Mean Girls premiere. And she was like, oh, it's nice. I said, do you get the reference? And she said, no. I said, it's from Clueless. And she goes, the what? She She was clueless as to what Clueless was. I said, well, put the kids to bed immediately and sit yourself upstairs and watch Clueless tonight. And she did, and she loved it. So if I have young people listening to the podcast who have yet to see Clueless, don't wait until it is remade as a musical, a woke 2024 musical. Just watch original Clueless. It's so wonderful. And I think it holds up. I think Clueless was very woke. Apart from, all right, spoiler, at the end, the high school student Cher Horowitz does get into a romantic relationship with a college student who happens to be her brother, but they're not blood related. It is from a different time. It's a different time that was innocent and you could fuck your brother if you wanted to back then, especially if it was Paul Rudd. But on the way there, I was thinking, should we get the tube? Should we drive? Oh, it's a bit chilly now. And I'm so sorry to any Canadian or American listeners that have, uh, because I know that they get in touch from time to time. It is not as cold here. I mean, it's going to be 14 degrees Celsius next week, but today was minus two. And I mean, that's cold for me now. Sorry, minus 20 where I grew up, but like I've adjusted and now I'm freezing. We decided to get an Uber and I always order an Uber exec because I'm a celebrity. And a lot of drivers, you can tell how good they're going to be by whether or not they make the effort to turn into our gated driveway. Many of them will just park over the road and honk, and that's when you know you're in for a shit ride. You don't expect this kind of service with Uber exec. But this guy parked over the road, and we were stood, you know, because I don't like to keep people waiting. Violet and I were stood outside of our gates. I was nearly in the road because our house doesn't have a number, sometimes there's confusion. He still wouldn't make a U-turn and cross the road to come meet us. So we're like, oh great, here we go. So we had to cross the road. Finally, we get in the car and the way was the way backwards that he had come, but he goes, I'm not going that way. There's too much traffic that way. And I was like, oh, uh, okay, well that is the way to go. And he's like, well, tell me a different way. I was like, well, I mean, if you want to go back on yourself and have it take much, much longer, even without traffic, I suppose you could go all around the other side of London and then approach Soho like from the 
east. But I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. He's like, well, that's what I'm doing. I'm not going back that way. I'm like, all right okay. And I didn't care. It was going to be like 20 minutes difference. I don't want to argue with this guy. I could tell that he was a prick. Maybe he's not a prick. Maybe he's a great guy who's like, you know, shed caught fire today. I don't know what happened in his life, but he was being an asshole. And I had a little can of this beautiful citrus wine that Bobby had got me in the Parisian train station and we hadn't drunk. And I thought, oh, I'd like to have a little wine before I get there. So Violet and I were very quiet. I didn't dare ask this man for a charger, though I do fundamentally believe an Uber, Uber exec should have one. I didn't want to ask him for a charger. My phone was about to die, but I was scared of him already. And he's driving. Violet and I are silent because you know what teenagers are like. She's just looking on her phone. We're silent. We're being good. I believe that it's clear we're mother and daughter, both dressed very respectably for a screening. 30 minutes down the road, I very quietly open the wine. And this guy puts his arm over the seat, looks back and goes, is that alcohol? And I said, no, sir. No, it is not alcohol. I'm going into London for an evening out with my child. Of course it was alcohol. Um, and I was really worried. I just felt like a teenager myself. I was transported back to the original release of Mean Girls, where I was vulnerable and scared of men that I had employed to perform a service for me. Um, this guy was definitely in charge of the ride. And I just kind of sipped it very carefully covered it up when I wasn't drinking it to make sure he wasn't going to smell wine. And like, in fairness to him, yeah, you're not supposed to have open alcohol in an Uber, but look, Diane Abbott's slipped up on public transport and I wanted to have, I feel like it wasn't hard alcohol. It's not like I was smashing like smelly pints or something in the back. I just wanted a few sips of one very upscale tinned French wine. And uh, he was just being such a di- I don't know what it was. It was his energy. Can everyone read energy? Because Sometimes I'll say to Bobby, like, so-and-so was being an asshole to me. And he's like, what did he do? Nothing. I could just feel vibes, like rude vibes. So we got to the hotel. And as soon as we arrived, I see all these paparazzi outside. And then the driver looked back at me like, what? Because the paparazzi started to surround the Uber exec and started to take pictures of Violet and me when we were exiting. And this guy was just like, what the? And now, I mean, he's, he's had loads of pictures taken of him. And it was a weird thing. It's weird with being photographed. Like, why would this guy know that I'm on TV? He wouldn't know that. All he knows is he was like sending me daggers and chirpsing me the whole ride about my alcohol. And then he, all of a sudden he was like, oh, but actually paparazzi want to take pictures of you. Hmm. Oh, who is that in my car then? Maybe I should have yelled at her so much with my eyes. I understood that this was a screening and sometimes, you know, I'm going to a screening this week that's in the afternoon. It's in a studio. It just could be a a press showing without a red carpet, without any photographers. I sort of imagined that because they didn't say premiere, that a screening just meant it was going to be low key. And boy, was I wrong. There were a ton of photographers inside. There was a step and repeat. That's that board with all the Mean Girls signage on that you stand in front of. I had done my own makeup. I was just wearing a little jumper and skirt. I hadn't really prepared for like a proper red carpet. All my favorite photographers were there. Violet was on the red carpet and there were loads of influencers, mostly TikTok stars and creators that Violet knows from the interweb inside. It was sponsored by Malibu. They had incredible pink Malibu cocktails. It was like a big, big deal. It was a genuine concern of mine that seeing Mean Girls 2024, the musical, would ruin the wonderful memories that I have of the legendary original film. Now, this film 
is not actually original, original. Like, it is, but it is based off a nonfiction book by author Rosalind Wiseman, who I always assumed was, like, at least a psychologist. But no, she taught teens martial arts, and she wrote this book based on her conversations with her students. And the book was called Queen Bees and Wannabes. Worth reading if you haven't read it already. The part that captured everyone's imagination and spurred the Hollywood bidding war on the book option was when she expertly categorized the different varieties of archetypes within a high school queendom. I am from the generation where these archetypes existed. If you haven't seen Mean Girls, I mean, have you been living under a rock? Go and see it tonight, the musical, and then go home and watch the original. Do it in that order, I think. But uh, we had the Aaron Samuels and the Shane Oman, and we had Gretchen Wieners, and we had, of course, Regina George. We had Katie. We had all of these these archetypes that I just, I don't even know if they exist in high schools anymore. I hear about the friendship groups from Violet, but what's wonderful about 2024 is it's nice to be nice. Whereas when I was growing up, it actually was cool to be mean. My group of friends absolutely were mean girls, even though I don't even think we were mean. I feel like we were doing a characterization of the type of high school girls we thought we should be. I mean, yes. We got off with guys older than us, and we dressed sexy at school, and we sort of moved around in a pack. And we would be mean if you were mean to us, but I really don't believe we initiated any bullying. And if we bullied anyone, it would be like the horrible, skanky girls who were mean to us. It wouldn't be, you know, the kid with glasses who's eating his packed lunch. Like, it, we would never bully actual vulnerable people. Do you know what I mean? So these are the archetypes. Number one, Queen Bee. A combination of the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland and Barbie, this girl reigns supreme and weakens her subject's friendships with others in order to strengthen her own power and influence. Number two, the sidekick, the second in command and closest to the Queen Bee. She will back the boss no matter what. The banker, she collects information about girls in her social sphere and dispenses it at strategic intervals for her own benefit. Now, Tina Fey, the incredible comedian, writer, creator who wrote Mean Girls, she self-identified as <laughs> the banker in high school. I feel like that's a very creepy position. Gather information on everyone else and use it for your own benefit. I certainly wouldn't have been a banker. The floater. She has friends. I mean, it's not a great name, but I feel like this is the best position to be in. I would always say don't put your eggs in one basket as a young woman. Be a floater. She has friends in different groups and is comfortable moving among them. She usually has qualities that protect her from other girls' cruelty. She's beautiful, but not too beautiful. She's nice. She avoids conflicts. The torn bystander. She's constantly conflicted between doing what's right and her allegiance to the clique. Easily influenced by the clique, she thinks she needs the status the clique provides. And guess what? She does. It's all about status in high school. It really is like prison rules. You need to be part of something. Then there's the pleaser and the target. The target's interesting. She's the victim. If she's in the clique, she might have challenged the queen and it had to be taken down a peg. If she's on the outside, it might be because she challenges the norms that the clique has established. I wonder if I was a mix of, see, like, I have some queen bee vibes, but I wasn't the queen bee of our friendship group. Our friendship group was kind of fragmented because... I came from a French school where I absolutely was Queen Bee with a definite sidekick and then some other girls. But she and I were sort of best, best friends. She would have to maybe be sidekick, but she was almost the comedian in our group. She was funnier than me. 
Then I went to the English school system for year seven, where I connected with a group that absolutely had a queen bee and absolutely had a sidekick. And this sidekick was only a sidekick because she was a little bit more reserved, um, but she was funny and she was beautiful. And I'm still friends with her now. Then some more people added on to our group. And then in Canada, we go to high school in year nine. Here, secondary school starts in year seven in the UK. But when we moved into high school, I wasn't allowed to go to high school with all my girlfriends. I went to a Catholic different school. I had to make a new group where I was just not even in any clique. I was just a loser. I was like, <laughs> I was with Damien and <laughs> Janice. And then I moved back to the cool high school, rejoined my queen bee group where the queen bee still was the queen bee. Sidekick was still the sidekick. So what was I? I wasn't one of the floaters. I had another sort of best friend as well. It was in our group. See, our group of friends, and I'm not going to say who's who, but because I'm friends with a lot of them still now. It's so funny how girls were even named back then. So my name's Catherine. I was never called anything but Catherine. My best friend was called Caitlin. Then we were friends with a girl called Kate and a girl called Lynn and a girl called Katie. But certainly we had this core group of absolute bitches. And there was a physical burn book. In Mean Girls, the girls explain a week that no phones were allowed, that they created an actual hard copy of saying horrible things about all the girls in the school. And then this book ultimately becomes quite crucial to the plot of Mean Girls at the end, whatever. There was a physical newspaper <laughs> that was made, not by the cool girls, though. It was by these like sketchy smoking girls. See, I am a bit stuck up. I was in high school because I thought that if you were like a skater and a skid and you smoked, then you were not cool. But these girls probably thought they were cool in their own way, but they're not cool now. Uh, this one girl wrote a book. It was like a newspaper called The Underground, and she slagged off all the popular kids in The Underground book. So she said something bad about my friend Jewel. She said something bad about the American football team. She said the dance team shake their asses because we had crabs and I was part of the dance team. But on the cover of this book was my photo. And I had wild eyebrows at the time and no lip filler next to a photo of a camel. And it said, thank God for makeup. And all my girlfriends were horrified. They cried. You know, anyone in the book was like, oh my God. And this was distributed a lot like in Mean Girls, just you know, chucked around. And this was before the film came out, um, littered all over the school, like a parade flyering. And I loved it. I saw us as micro celebrities. I was like, yeah, we're in the tabloids. It's fine. I saw it as a compliment because I was a sick and twisted kid. The interesting forest for the trees takeaway from Mean Girls that often gets overlooked is its theme is nature versus nurture. You literally have a girl raised in the African wilderness who assimilates into a cycle of teenage brutality instantly. I think that girls in a sinister way are a little bit hardwired for this, especially when you put them in an environment like high school where it's kill or be killed. And certainly I, I knew that we were stronger together and that we had a look and we had a vibe. And I don't think we were actually mean, but if people thought we were mean, that was a good thing because it meant that we were protected, I guess. And we had status. And I think everyone on some level wants status, apart from a few special kids who truly don't give a shit. I don't give a shit about most things now, but I think if you put me back in high school, I might get swept away by all of it, but it, I would have to be in 90s high school. I was so lucky to be a kid when I was a kid. And I was so lucky to have the original Mean Girls. 
I feel like you should go see the new Mean Girls. I feel like it's fun. The music's really exciting. I never saw the musical live on Broadway or in the West End or anything else, so I like to find out what it's like with music. Uh, I love that Mean Girls 2024 gives Damien and Janice a real front seat. They're narrators of this movie now. They're really driving the bus. And I feel like the actors that they got, the musicians, the very talented triple threat artists are ethnically more diverse. I mean, the whole movie obviously is more inclusive in many ways, but these two are just so talented, so talented that they can carry the movie, which is a good thing because controversially, I don't think the Katie lead character or Regina George can. I feel like all the actresses in the movie are great. My favorite being Karen, who is, uh, what is her name, Anushka? She's like a very famous actress, young actress. I don't know about what's going on with young people, but no one. And this is not a fault of any of the actors in the now Mean Girls film that I loved and that you should see. But there's something about Lindsay Lohan, something about her story, or her pain, or her struggle, or the fact that as a young child, she had to be the adult in many rooms. I just think she's got a certain on-screen presence that is captivating, that draws you in. I think she still has it now. I think she had it in The Parent Trap when she was a little girl. She definitely had it in Mean Girls. She's ginger, which in this country, people still are a little bit weird about. She's maybe not the most classically... I think Lindsay Lohan is beautiful, but she wouldn't be cast as the Regina George, for example. She's not that Barbie character, like blonde, super perfect. She's interesting to look at. There is something about some people where they just pull focus, and Lindsay Lohan is one of those people. She just always has my attention. When she's on camera, you can't take your eyes off of her. And her private life, her personal life during that time when she was one of the biggest celebrities on earth, she was hanging out with Paris Hilton and uh, Britney Spears, and they were all like falling asleep in cars, taking drugs, getting really thin, flashing their badges here, there, and everywhere. I mean, it was an exciting time in a paparazzi world. But uh, it was painful, and you would watch this girl be so vulnerable. And I feel like that's what makes a great actress, is that level of vulnerability. Lindsay Lohan is so good at just letting you in. And now she has a baby, and she's married. And we haven't heard a lot from her. And every once in a while, she seems a little cuckoo. She does a funny accent sometimes. But like, she is someone that you would want to be with at a dinner party. She'd sit down and be a little bit raspy in her voice and be like, all right, I'll tell you where I've been in the last three years and what I think about this, this, and that. She's almost British. Lindsay Lohan has a lot of British tendencies. She just doesn't seem like fake or false or too sanitized or too Hollywood or too anything. She's just an original. And it's very difficult to find. No criticism to the new Mean Girls movie. The chick who plays Katie, she's got some amazing name. What is it? Sigourney Amaru or something? Her name is Anguri Rice, and she has famous parents, and she couldn't... I mean, her mother is played by Pam from The American Office, Jenna Fisher. They they look like twins. I mean, it's incredible casting there. She's a beautiful little girl. But, you know, has she got the chops to write a song like, Daughter to father, daughter to father, I don't know you, but I still want to. Only Lindsay Lohan, (laughs) raised by a narcissistic alcoholic, and a rockette in that absolute thunderdome of a childhood 
can bring the chops to the role that is required. And I heard she got half a million dollars for half a day's work to appear in the new Mean Girls film. And I mean, there was a screaming in the theater when Lindsay Lohan appears in the small role that she appears in. And like, she had to be in the movie. She had to. Lindsay, are you free for half a day for us to see your beautiful, original, uniquely talented face, half a mil? (sighs) Yeah, I'll be there. Let's take a break now to enjoy some words from our sponsors. And when we return, I will open the letters, the emails, see what's been going on with your lives, your week, see what advice you have for some of the harrowing letters from last week, and see what dilemmas have been going on in your own life. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Huge response this week to all of your letters from last week. I mean, I, again, I feel very privileged that you feel safe enough to send me some of the types of content that you do, but please always be reminded that I am not a professional. I do my best to connect you with people who know more about these issues than I do, and I can give my opinion, but like a lot of you just need to be calling the fucking police to be dead honest with you, and I know you already did call the police about the foster issue. More on that later. Firstly, Munchausen by proxy. So many people wrote in about this story of Megan uh, from last week where her mother seemed to have perhaps embezzled money from a charity. I don't want to be sued by this woman because she sounds mental, but she, and I mean that in the you know, most clinical sense, she needs help desperately. But I mean, allegedly, I think she had a hand in her daughter's illness and there is already a podcast. I was like, okay, I can investigate this. No, loads of you wrote in to tell me that there is actually an amazing podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts all about it called Believe in Magic. It was made by a school friend of the girl who's writing me. It's amazing. It also has extra information about Jean, this is Megan's mom, as they went looking for her. Highly recommended. It is a seven-part podcast. I will definitely be listening to that. All right, Catherine, 
regarding the very serious issue of the foster dad turned groomer. There is um, a charity link that I have, IJM.org. They're fighting against sexual abuse as well as slavery. You could go there. But largely, I mean, the sentiment has been a lot like this letter. It says, Catherine, I cannot stress the importance of this issue. I know they've contacted the police, but they have to contact safeguarding adults separately as the police may not take this seriously. Children in care are in receipt of support until they are 25, not 16, not 18. This girl is just 19 or 20 and she is in a relationship with her foster dad who has been her carer since she was eight. So this is a very important detail. I'm a health professional. This is abusive. It has to be reported to adult social care. He needs to be investigated. She is a vulnerable adult by default, being a child from the care system despite being 19. And this is a super concerned health professional. So please, to the original uh, post that wrote me about this situation with your brother, in a relationship with his foster child. When is the intervention? We will round up professionals for this. I will be there. Physically, I will go. Like I will take a plane, a train. I would love to look this guy in the fucking eyes because that's how much it matters to me and to a lot of our listeners. So we need resolution on this. (sighs) New emails from this week. Catherine, polyamorous with my childhood friend and her husband. I mean, guys, what is going on? Catherine, I'm recently separated from my husband. My best friends live next door to me. I've been friends with her since I was 15. Now we're almost 30. And I've known her partner for nine years, the whole time they've been together. Over the last year, our friendship evolved and my best friend and I started to sleep together. Uh, At first it was just sex. We've now developed feelings for one another. Of course you have. We have all said we love each other and we're in love. We do everything together. I sleep over there pretty much every night. This has been a difficult year for me with my divorce and deaths in my family. These two are the only things that keep me going. We've decided it's a polyamorous relationship, but she keeps going back and forth on whether or not she can do this. I don't understand because we were basically in a relationship. The three of us walk dogs together. We do the washing, ironing, cleaning in their house. We spend all our time together. We go on dates together, all three of us and just two of us. We basically are in a relationship, but she refuses to admit that. I want to be in a relationship with them. And at the moment, I know they're having their cake and eating it too, but what do I do? Ride it out in the hope she'll change her mind? I know you shouldn't date for potential. Or do I end it now and just deal with the pain? Oh, I I am so vanilla that this is weird for me to like try to wrap my head around. It sounds to me like, okay, first of all, you just lost your husband. You've had deaths in your family, and it sounds like you are in a position that is vulnerable. And sometimes I don't think, even though it feels like a Band-Aid and it's fixing you now, and you say like, oh, all I have is them. I love, you know, I live for them, and they make me happy, and I feel loved by this couple. I feel like you shouldn't make decisions with your heart at a time that your heart is broken, you know? And maybe it'll go okay, but if it doesn't, you're kind of delaying processing the pain from the other things. You know, you're like, oh, I'll deal with my divorce later. I'll deal with these deaths in the family later. Right now I'm in this exciting polyamorous relationship. So there's that. And I don't know. I don't know how successful polyamory is. Like monogamy is not statistically that successful. So I can't really speak to that. Um, It sounds good on the surface. And maybe your friend, because she knows you very well, 
you've developed feelings. I assume she's developed feelings if she's, you know, okay with more than sex. She's walking the dogs with you. She has you in her house all the time. You're sleeping over there. Maybe it's just her stigma. You know, she's thinking, oh, I don't really officially want to be in a polyamorous relationship because I was raised in a monogamous relationship with my parents and that's what was expected of me. And I got married to this man and I think I'm supposed to be monogamous, but I'm polyamorous now. What does that mean? Maybe she just doesn't like the label. And I think it will take time for people to catch up and be like, okay, being open with an outside the box, like different relationship, non-traditional relationship. Uh, I think I would say, I mean, I'm a little bit worried about it because you're in a vulnerable spot emotionally, but I think I would say talk to your best friend alone without this husband, this poor husband. I always feel bad for guys who are in any type of polyamorous relationship because I feel like they think it's cool. They're like, oh yeah, I've got like two ladies that I'm having sex with, but also it's like two ladies feelings to think about and two, and like the ladies might both turn on you if they're mad about something, or maybe they'll argue with each other. And I just think like, I've spoken to guys who've had multiple girlfriends who all knew about each other and all those guys have been miserable. (laughs) They don't like it. I don't know. I would talk to my best friend and be like, if you don't want to give this a label, that's fine. But I just need to feel like I'm not this piece on the side next door. However, though, you kind of need to know your place in this relationship because they are married. And what are the boundaries? Sit down and have a boundaries chat. Like maybe you don't sleep there every single night or like put that out and say, if they go, no, we do want you to sleep here every single night. And we always want you to walk the dogs and we definitely want you over as much as possible. Then you go, okay, so we're in a relationship. Why don't you want to call it that? Like, let's go there and then maybe unpack what I think is probably just your best friend's cultural stigma. Catherine, I was the other woman then befriended his girlfriend. I had been sleeping with a man whom I knew had a girlfriend. I'm in no way proud of this. I feel incredibly ashamed. I decided at the beginning of this year to tell her and she got my number off his phone and contacted me. I have sent her a hundred of our messages, which are not only hurtful about their sex life, but also her body, etc. She even came to mine, me and her BF live in the same block and brought me wine, which turned into a conversation reaffirming everything I said. She's kept up messaging. And to be honest, I feel incredibly drained, but I've tried to respond because I feel like a shitty, terrible person. And I owe her that. However, her latest message to me is that she's giving him a second chance despite him cheating on her multiple times with me. And it turns out with also someone else. I feel so, so angry. I've embarrassed and humiliated myself for nothing. Am I in any way justified for feeling so much hatred and anger? She's been understanding, but her last message to me had a threatening undertone of, remember, I've been pretty nice about the situation. I feel sick and completely depressed about the whole situation. I have no idea what I can say or do because I don't deserve sympathy. Oh, any advice would be greatly appreciated. Well, I, I mean, you definitely, you can't take it back now, but you definitely should not have sent her loads of messages um, because I just don't know if she needed to be shown that he was making fun of her body and talking badly about her and also being sexual with you. I think what all of that's done, while it united you briefly, 
I think she sounds like a masochist who just wanted to hear more details and hurt herself and be like, okay, and he did that. All right, great. And he did that. And I'm bad, aren't I? I'm ugly, aren't I? He cheats on me because I'm worthless. I don't deserve him. And he's with all these other girls because of all these things he said about my body, like my, you know, teeth are too close together or whatever those like hurtful comments were that happened intimately between him and the person he was cheating on his girlfriend with she's had to read those now and know them and see you and just she just feels really badly about herself now and it is very difficult to leave a man that you love or probably a woman that you love i've never loved any women but i have been treated really badly by some men and i poured over the details of their lies and their affairs and I wanted to know and see everything. And even after I knew it, no, there wasn't a woman helping me and having wine with me and really being vulnerable as you were with her. But still, like, it had the same impact. I was angry and I said, I'll never be with him. I'm going to get him out. And then I got back with him again just because I felt really low after learning all of that stuff. So I think that even though you feel angry and betrayed, just know that she's not doing it out from a place of, you know, power, like she's just weak and she feels bad about herself now. So she's going to get back with him. I think if you really want to absolve yourself, like karmically from any of this, just rise above it, get on with your life. Don't even acknowledge them when you see them in the block. But if she ever reaches out to you again, just be like, all right, that's your prerogative. You know, I'm here if you change your mind and just be gentle with her. And then when she does finally come to the end of this relationship, and if she comes to you, just be like, yeah, good for you. It's good that you've left him. I told you what I told you. I have to say that I felt incredibly betrayed when you ignored all of that and went back to him, but I understand why you did. Have a nice life and like cut off that friendship. You don't need to be like besties. This is not a Judd Apatow film. Like you don't have to carry on a relationship with this girl, but just know that her getting back with him is not a betrayal of you. It's a betrayal of herself and it will be short-lived. Ugh. And he, like, I mean, I, I'm like more of a revenge person. <laughs> I would do bad things to him. Like, you know where he lives. What bad things can you do to someone with their postal address that isn't harassment? You know, like, what could you do? Could you sign him up for, like, a bunch of flyers? Like, these are real low-level pranks. But he needs something. Like, he needs some comeuppance for all of this. And I think that's what's troubling you. You're like, what? He did all this, and then he still gets to keep his girlfriend, and she took my time and then just wasted it? Don't feel embarrassed. Don't feel bad. But just let's whip together all these, all the listeners. What can you do with a man's address that is not illegal or harassing? That's like a fun prank to fuck with his head. I feel like that would make you feel a lot better. Stay tuned next week for that. If you know anything, write us an email. Telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Catherine, will a promotion with a move help me leave an affair? Catherine, I am the asshole. I've been having an affair with someone at work for over a year Ooh, I hate that I am this person. I never thought I would be. From the first time I saw him, I was struck with sickening attraction. Butterflies to the point of nausea, unable to look him in the eye. His name echoing in my mind and the most gorgeous face I had ever seen. It's like I have a 15-year-old girl around him. He has a wife about whom he complains and two children. Well, of course he complains about his wife because she had the audacity to give him the two beautiful children he prayed for. I have a partner of 15 years that I've been with since I was 16. I tried breaking up with him a couple times in the last two years, but his depression stops it happening because I'm always worried he will harm himself. 
I've never cheated before and I hate the feeling. I like being at work more than I like being at home. I hate my life. Even though I'm a high achiever at work and try to have meaningful pursuits, I found myself in this pit. This week, I was headhunted by a company to move to a bigger city. It would be slightly more money. They would pay for me to live away during the week and I would have the prospect of another promotion soon. I would be leaving my company, which is most of my social life and support network. I don't know how to tell my partner I want to end things again, and I think the distance might help him build up more of a life outside us to make it easier. Currently, he doesn't have any other close friends, very little family, and I'm also the primary breadwinner. The guy from work said he could never risk not being able to see his children every day. Oh my God. For what, five minutes a day? Where he's like at work and he's having an affair with you. He's like, oh, my children, my wonderful, I can't leave my children. Well, you're hurting a children when you hurt their mother and when you deceive their mother and when you're like not exactly doing the school run when you're out fucking someone else, by the way. He's probably still banging his wife too. (sighs) He loves his wife despite her struggles with depression. I feel horrendous. I know it's wrong, but I crave this man's affection. I don't even know what I want from him. I don't think I would ever fully trust him and I'm fairly certain he would hurt me. So Catherine, do you have any advice on what to do? This has been two years of absolute struggle and I've now ended up being with someone I don't even like. Take the promotion. Take the promotion. Get away from all this toxicity that you have somehow created for yourself. I know that it's really hard to leave someone and I understand like, oh, well, he doesn't have anything else and I'll just wait till he has something. He's never going to have something. And then this guy that you're having an affair with, oh, he can't leave his wife because his kids and his wife's depression. It's like, if you guys are in partnerships with two people who are navigating depression like that, it really isn't up to you to then like hide information from them and be deceitful to try to manage their depression. Like it's not for you to say this, you know, if I leave you, you are going to unalive yourself. If I leave you, you're going to unalive yourself because I'm so special and I'm so important. Lots of people navigate depression. It sucks, but it's not an excuse to be dishonest with someone, you know? I mean, I don't think you guys have to disclose your affairs because it's happened now and it's just hurtful to do that. But you definitely have a way out. You have this like, and it's not even a, a, a lateral move. It's a promotion. Like God is looking down on you and going, hey, you're an overachiever at work. Let's get you out of this situation. It's a lifeboat to take you to a better life. I think what this affair is, is just a manifestation of your unhappiness in your own relationship. And similarly, like this guy wants to stay with his wife and kids, but his wife is a nag because like, mm, she has depression. Maybe because her husband's fucking someone at work and she's home with two kids or doing a lot of the childcare, probably even if she's working. You've both been very naughty. Leave this man to sort out his life. Go take your promotion in another city. And if you have ever seen a rom-com, then you will know that if he is this like magical, and it doesn't sound like it, by the way, like all of these feelings that you have for him, like you feel sick when you saw him, he's the most attractive, like that all feels like too much. You know what I mean? Like the right relationship doesn't feel like that. It just feels like nice and right and your love grows. When you meet someone and it's all fireworks, sometimes it's just, it's too much. You were looking for a lifeboat and you thought it was him, but it isn't him, it's this promotion. So you need to sit your boyfriend down and be like, I'm taking this promotion and I'm leaving. And I don't know, you could do it like step by step, but ultimately you're leaving him and you have to use this promotion to do that. 
Just don't come back on the weekends. And um, I just don't think you can talk to this affair guy. And if he's right for you, then five years, 10 years down the road, I know it hurts, but he and his wife will have reached, you know, a mutual end of their relationship and you can be with him. He'll like come and find you. And if he doesn't, then he is not worthy of you anyway. Leave, 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 leave. I'm so excited you have this promotion with more money. Just leave. Catherine, should I tell our friend her husband made a pass at me? I'm a long-term listener, a loyal fan of your work. I love you. But sadly, I find myself in this dilemma that only you can solve. My best friend's brother, let's call him Sam, is hunky. He's a charismatic guy who's been with his wife for close to 15 years. So many cheating women on the podcast today. They're married and they have a child with autism. Unfortunately, he's been known to stray. And in fact, once before they got married, he had an affair which she found out about and she left him for two years before getting back with him. Sam and I work in the same field and we ended up at at an event together where he spent the entire night trying to kiss me, following me around and telling me all the sexual things he wanted us to do together. At an event, at an event, your best friend's brother with a wife and a child followed you around, not, you know, falling in love with you or trying to talk to you or like, oops, I didn't mean to just like completely connect with you like this, but telling you all the sexual things he wanted to do to you. I am happily married. I found it difficult to get rid of him because he's my best friend's brother and I didn't want to be rude. You didn't want to be rude. You didn't want to be rude. And this man, you're not being rude when a man who's married is saying sexual things to you who's married at an event. It's not rude to have a boundary and be like, hey, Sam, so-and-so's brother, don't fucking talk to me like that. Not here, not ever. Why don't we FaceTime your wife when you can say these things to her? I'm confused because I am not a woman who would let someone talk to me like that. So I don't know if you wanted him to talk to you like that. Or if like British people are just taught to be like this overly polite. I can already hear your outrage at this. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, he then proceeded to text me for four days straight before I finally managed to get rid of him. I showed my husband the messages. We agreed not to tell my best friend. In the few months since, I've heard that he's been cheating on his wife with other significantly younger women. My dilemma is that I think his wife needs to know. We're not friends, so I don't know how I can tell her. Should I tell my best friend? Is that meddling in family dynamics? Or should I leave the situation alone because it's not my business? It feels terrible to know that Sam is cheating on this kind and loving wife and that everyone knows about it apart from her. If it were me, I would want someone to tell me. I I would love to say to you, yes, like be the hero, tell her, you know what's right. But ultimately, as we heard from the other listener, sometimes it doesn't work like that. You can show someone evidence of text messages on your phone. You can sit down and have a bottle of wine with someone and be like, I have been personally fucking this guy and we make fun of you in these texts. That's what the last listener did. And this girl still went back to him. So it's very complicated, heartbreak and deceit. And especially when you have a child, I just do not think like for your own mental well-being that you need to put yourself in the middle of this. I don't think you need to tell your, I mean, if it was my best friend, I'm thinking of my best friend, Caitlin, if her brother was trying to fuck me, I would tell her, I would absolutely tell, be like, your brother has issues. Like what's going on with him and his wife? Yes. I would not tell his wife though. You don't know this woman. It's unfortunately not your business. And you know what? It seems like if he's done it before and she took him back, 
you guys assume everyone knows but her, but sadly, you know, maybe she knows. Maybe she knows and she's just too preoccupied. She's navigating raising this boy. Her husband's off. Maybe it's a don't embarrass me and like if I don't find out about it, I'll pretend not to know. There are people who live in these kinds of relationships. Just open your eyes and make sure, all of us listening today, that we are not in these relationships because it's just a temporary solution for keeping a long-term prick around. Thank you all so much for listening. If anybody would ever like to write me a letter, it is telling everybody everything at gmail.com. My series Parental Guidance is coming out on W Network February 5th. I have a brand new show hosted by the formidable Rosie Jones. I'm team captains alongside Judy Love, who's one of the best comedians on earth and the most beautiful, fantastic women. That is um, coming out soon on Comedy Central. I don't know the exact date, but like between you and me, I think it's the end of February, beginning of March soon, but that's not announced. I don't know. That's a guess, to be honest with you, but it's very soon. And I have some other really cool things. I'm a judge on something really cool soon, but uh, in the meantime, just look after each other and write me a letter if you want. I'll see you next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com